We're talking productive struggle in Dynasty Leagues, and the show is going to start right now. Welcome back. It's Bob's Three-Toed Warriors from Studio 1329 with Word on the Street, Season 1, Episode 23. And today, I'm on the show. We're talking about productive struggle in Dynasty Leagues. That sounds like a terrible thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. We're going to find out today. Uh, I have what I would say is the expert on productive struggle joining me on the show today, none other than Mr. Ryan McDowell. Mr. McDowell, how are you doing today, sir? What's, what's the word? Doing well, man. Glad to be on here with you. Glad to talk some Dynasty. Ready to go. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on the show, sir. I've been listening to to your show um, for several years. Uh, why don't you let uh, little listeners find out uh, here where they can find your work? Sure. You can find most of my work at, uh, at DLF, DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Uh, also doing some work for Roto World again this year, uh, covering Dynasty for them. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at RyanMC23. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. So if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, hit the notification bell. If you're listening on the podcast audio, be kind, subscribe, a little five-star ratings, always very, very helpful. And uh, yesterday, which won't be yesterday when you hear this, but uh, <laughs> yesterday uh, I did our first fantasy football hump day happy hour. Uh, went off pretty well. It was a good time. People got to jump in, ask some questions. So that's on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central Time. All right, so productive struggle. Let's just get on into this. What in the world does that term mean for those of us who are not familiar with productive struggle? Sure, sure. So um, I am actually a, a teacher in uh, as my day job. And so productive struggle is, is an education term. Uh, essentially refers to uh, letting students struggle, letting them kind of figure it out uh, on their own. And, and of course, just like fantasy football, that's not a strategy you would always want to use as a teacher. It's not foolproof. Um, but there are times when it fits. There are times when it makes sense and, and when it can be productive uh, for, for the student. So um, several years ago, probably six or seven years ago, I was sitting in a training uh, at the end of the school year, you know, honestly kind of mentally checked out, ready for, for <laughs> summer vacation and thinking about um, fantasy football and my dynasty teams and, and everything else. And the speaker is going on and on. And, and she says the term productive struggle. And I mean, it, it hit me and automatically I knew that that is, that's what I do in dynasty because what I, how I had typically been building teams uh, in startup drafts was focus on youth, focus on, um, the wide receiver position, acquire extra draft picks, trade down in the draft, not trade up. Uh, and, and usually that meant losing the first year. I, I didn't have a lot of success in that first season, but it was basically by design. It was intentional. And uh, that gave me a high draft pick the next year. Uh, and, and if I had done a good job in the startup acquiring those young players that could turn into something in, in year two and beyond, then I was ready to contend that second year. Um, so I wrote an article called Productive Struggle uh, based around the idea of productive struggle uh, for DLF. I think that was 2014. Um, and, and it really took off. I mean, for the most part, it was a strategy that a lot of people were doing, you know, focusing on young players and dynasty. Um, even, even the 
being willing to uh, lose or, or, you know, you could, you could say tank if you want. Um, that was, that was fairly common at that point. Uh, but, but putting that terminology around it, kind of wrapping it all into that one package, uh, I, I think made a lot of sense for people. Okay. All right. I like it. That's a good explanation. So here's a question for you. Um, I'm going to flip my word of these questions. So do you associate it when with team rebuilds or is it a decision you make in a draft or pre-draft? Is it only on one side of the fence or the other or is it used both? Yeah. I mean, I typically think about it as a strategy you use in the startup draft. Um, I, I know uh, it, it's kind of become a term that a lot of people use when, uh, when their team is no good, when their team is rebuilding you know, unfortunately, not every bad team is a productive struggle team. You know, you've got to have you've got to have that plan in place. Uh, and and again, like I said, with education, that doesn't mean the plan always works. It doesn't mean um, you're you're going to nail it every time. I've had I've had teams where I got last place in year one and I won the title in year two. Like that's happened. But I've had teams uh go the wrong way, you know, last place in year one and, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe I move up a spot or two in year two, but it's, it's a longer process. Um, typically though, I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think of it as a rebuilding strategy or, or a term I would use with a rebuilding team. I think of it more as a startup draft strategy. Sure. Cause your rebuild team is, that's just tanking, right? You're tanking for, to get those picks. You're trading away your, your old players to get that draft capital or those younger guys. It's uh, right. I mean, so it, it could, you know, you could still certainly use that term because um, if you're, if you're intentionally struggling, if you're trading away Julio Jones and Drew Brees and, and, you know, even I think we could even put like Travis Kelsey in that group. Now, sure. if you're trading those guys away with an eye towards 2021, 2022, and beyond, and you've got that plan in place, then sure, that, that could definitely be a productive struggle team. But if your team just stinks and you're not really being proactive about it, yeah. that's not a productive struggle team. You know, you're yeah. just, you're just a struggling team without yeah. the productive. Yeah. That's a team just uh, looking for that, uh, that, that goodwill uh, donation slip for the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just giving away those league fees. Um, so, What's your determining factor when you're deciding that it's time to go productive struggle? So I think the way I'm, I'm thinking of this is, <clears throat> I don't know how often you do startups. How many leagues are you in? I am curious. Yeah, I've joined a bunch this, this off season, just with the circumstances and COVID babies at home. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've fallen into the trap like a lot of other people. Uh, I'm probably, Probably around twenty, maybe, okay. yeah, something like that. All right, you're not totally off the out of out of, out of control yet, so <laughs> not not too crazy yet. Yeah, all right. Uh, I was up to fourteen last year, and I'm at a solid five this year, and I'm I'm pretty content. Oh, nice. I'm yes. staying strong. Twitter's asking, "Hey, you want to join this one?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Um, it's tough it to is. have the, the willpower, especially when it's a tempting style of a league that maybe you're not in or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so. <clears throat> So when you you did these startups, um, did you walk into the startup saying, boom, I'm going productive struggle, I'm going win now, or did you let the first two, three rounds and what you grabbed in those first two, three rounds dictate kind of which way you're going to lean? How does that how does that usually work for someone who's going to walk into a draft and wants to make up their, like, what would they do? What would you do? 
I, I mean, I, I would always basically go, well, what's happened again, that article uh, I think was 2014. So if you look at 2014 dynasty ADP and mm-hmm. 2014 redraft ADP, they look very, very different. <laughs> um, and you could, I mean, you could look at a draft and know if it was a dynasty draft or a redraft. I don't think you could do that today. Um, a lot of the same, you're going to see a lot of the same players in in the first couple rounds. So I think a lot of people, and I mean, I won't, I won't give myself credit for this. I think this is just kind of the trend of how, how fantasy has gone. I think a lot of people are, um, are treating their redraft teams kind of with, not with the dynasty mentality necessarily, but they're, uh, they're not afraid to take the younger player. They're not afraid to, um, avoid an older player. You know, we're noticing those trends of when, when aging players are, are kind of falling off the cliff. So, I mean, you'll still, you'll still see Julio Jones in you know, in round two of redraft leagues. And, and obviously that's a, a solid pick at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but examples uh, like that are, are kind of few and far between for the most part, those drafts are, are looking very similar. So when I'm doing drafts now, I think, um, it's easy to focus on acquiring younger players. That's what, that's what everybody's doing. And, and that means those, those veterans are falling. So some of those key pieces of the productive struggle model have kind of become commonplace now. Um, So all of that to say, I think you can focus on youth and still win immediately. So I don't necessarily go into a league, um, knowing I'm going to lose in year one, but as far as the base of young players, uh, that, that remains the same. I just, I don't want to take declining assets. Like no matter what Julio Jones does this year. And I I keep going to that example. It's a great uh, example though. He's probably got two, three strong years. We assume left. Right. No matter what. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what he does. I mean, he could have 1400 yards and a dozen touchdowns. He's still going to lose dynasty value. That's like just the nature of, uh, of, the, the hobby. So um, I, I'm not taking Julio Jones. I'm not taking Travis Kelsey. He's going to lose dynasty value uh, in the coming year. And it, that's kind of the, you, you know, you want to find players that are going to be productive. Obviously you want to compete in most years, um, but you also have to have your eye on value because if you, if you load up on guys like that, even if you do have success in year one, you get to year two and, and your team has is on its way to falling apart and you have no assets to improve that. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I feel like more running backs are, are sliding higher into the rookie or into the, not rookie. Well, yes, the rookie drafts, but the dynasty drafts than they probably were in 2014 as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's another change we're seeing. It's, uh, I mean, it was it was dark times if you were a, a running back supporter or um, I mean, I was looking at some ADP today and uh, Thomas Rawls was a top seven <laughs> running back at one point. I think that was uh, I think that was in 2015. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example, but that just shows how uh, how lacking the running back position was overall. And then, you know, 2016, we get Zeke and we get Derrick Henry. Um, and then we know what happened in 2017, McCaffrey and Kamara mm-hmm. and Hunt and Cook and Mixon and Fournette. And now 
and now the whole landscape has changed because of sure. that. So sure. yeah, absolutely. We're seeing, uh, well, we saw, we saw balance for a couple of years and, and now we're seeing it shift towards the running backs uh, that you take running backs in the first couple rounds and then you can get your, your wide receivers, uh, you know, in three through 10 really. Um, so if I, I mean, if I wrote productive struggle today, it would, it would look different. The, the drafting plan would be different. All right. Sounds like you have homework then. That's right. I probably do. <laughs> I just gave homework to a teacher. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So uh, real quick, listener league promotion. So we are going to, we have three spots remaining for the listener league. It's going to be an auction league, 12 teamer, um, two spots for five-star reviews that you screenshot and send to at Bob's three toad on Twitter. And then the last thing will be a, a comments, a, story uh song i don't care what it is something entertaining that says why you deserve to be in the listener league and include something from the show so get those in because that window is a closing because there is maybe going to be a season and uh and we want to be able to 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 have some fun and, and play in it so it'll be here before we know it um tell us about some of the projects you are working on you rattled off a beautiful list of things that you're involved in but tell us a little a little bit about some of them uh, sure. Qu quite a few of them, actually. Um, so about a year ago, I became a, a partner, a part owner at DLF. And uh, since then, I would say my writing uh, has has decreased just the amount of writing I do, but involved a lot more in kind of the behind the scenes work at DLF. Um, we have recently released the, the My DLF tool, which basically syncs up uh, our trade analyzer tool with your uh, my fantasy league uh, information, your team, your your um, competitors' teams, and really just helps you come up with with uh, the perfect trades across all of your MFL leagues. So that's that's been a, a huge thing that we've been working on as a group, and uh, already working on adjustments and changes for that. Um, there on the side, I've got a 2021 dynasty rookie mock, uh, coming out soon, uh, right. looking ahead to the 21 class. Um, and then like, like I said, doing some work for Roto world, writing up running backs and wide receivers, doing top 200 dynasty rankings over there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's keeping me busy for those of, uh, those of, and I'm sure most listeners are, especially this time of season, but those of people out there who aren't familiar with what DLF means, what it is, or Rotor World in a, in a couple sentences, what would you say those, what are those? Uh, sure. DLF, Dynasty League Football. Um, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as the preeminent Dynasty League site uh, founded by three guys hanging around in their kitchen about, uh, about uh, 15 years ago. And uh, they, they, like so many of us, were just hardcore Dynasty players and uh, thought, you know, there's nothing out there for us. So let's just do it ourselves. And like, like a lot of sites uh, and, and like a lot of small businesses, they struggled for a long time. And then as Dynasty continued to grow and, and become popular, uh, it, it was like the, you know, the light clicked on. And um, we've been growing every year. We've, we're, uh, our writing team is up to 50 or 60 at this point. We've, uh, we've, actually purchased uh, FF Statistics, which was a great site uh, founded by Addison Hayes. Purchased that last year, so we've added tools, uh, 
to to uh, all the other content and uh, rankings and ADP data that you can find at DLF. So, uh, yeah, if you play in a dynasty league, you need to check out DLF for sure. Uh, and then Roto World is the um, the fantasy football site, not just fantasy football, fantasy sports site uh, for all sports uh, associated with NBC. Uh, and I think most people think of Roto World uh, because of player blurbs. They are the, the best site around when it comes to player news. Uh, if you're wondering about what's going on with the player, you can check on Roto World, check on that news feed, and they've got you covered. Uh, but I'm part of their uh, content team there. I'm covering Dynasty, as I said, and uh, a, a lot of great uh, folks over there covering fantasy football, baseball, basketball, everything. Awesome. So you mentioned player news and uh, at the time of this recording this week, pretty much off and on and so forth. Mr. Antonio Brown is retired, unretired, retired, unretired. The official Twitter tweets that somehow count as official, unofficial. <laughs> what's uh, what's your take on the, on uh, Mr. Brown? Oh, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a sad situation from an outsider's perspective because yeah. It's it's a it's similar to what we saw uh, last summer with the the flip flopping of you know his his plans and his intentions. Um, so I, I don't I'm still not confident he ever plays again. Honestly, uh, if he does play again, obviously instant value. I mean, we saw him that one game with the Patriots. Uh, basically turned into their leading receiver off the streets. Uh, so if, if he gets a chance, I mean, that's all he needs to produce. But I, between uh, the NFL and legal issues and, and honestly just his own his own struggles, I'm not sure we ever see him again. Yeah, good point. And then if, if he does come back in and you're shooting at him and redraft, there's, I mean, he's supposed to get some kind of suspension, allegedly, probably, right? Handful of games, couple games, something like that. Maybe we'll t- to be determined. So yeah, additional risk yeah. for you if you grab. It him. seems like the NFL's been pretty quiet on that. Um, I mean, his ADP was was certainly creeping up. Um, you know, we just finished the Scott Fishbowl drafts, so we've got 120 drafts of of data to look at, and. Uh, he, he was a popular target in that before this week with with the tweets and retiring and coming back and accusing the NFL of, um, you know, slow playing everything to, to, to be kind. Sure. Um, I mean, he was coming off the board in like uh, early double digit rounds, you know, 10th to 12th round, uh, sometimes falling a little further than that. And that's that's probably a fair, um, fair range to to take a chance on him. Because like I said, if, if he comes back, if he gets reinstated, he's a fantasy starter immediately and, and you know, possibly an impact uh, fantasy starter. So, yeah, that's that's probably where I would be looking um, to take a shot on him at this point. Okay. All right. And some other in the news type stuff uh, is uh, the COVID season. So for for your leagues or leagues you've heard of and ideas you've heard of, um, how are you treating it for your league? So we're talking about first off, maybe for like the weekly schedule, are you sticking head to head? Are you adding it, flipping it? Are you going against the mean? Is there any consensus? You're in 20 different leagues. So there's probably 20 different opinions going on, but um, what, what do you, what's your feelings or what would your, what's your preference? Maybe more even than what you've seen, but 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's there's so much to consider, and and out of those twenty or so leagues, I I commission uh, ten or twelve of them. So those those are all decisions that that I'm going to have to make for my leagues with with the input of the folks that are in those leagues for sure. You know, next next week, Scott Fish and I have uh, a special episode of our Commission Impossible podcast. Uh, we're bringing on some other uh, some other guys from around the industry that. Uh, are also commissioners in, in their own leagues, basically having kind of a, a roundtable, what to do nice. with uh, with all of these things in relation to COVID, what happens if they cancel the season, what do you do, what happens if they, uh, if they get a, a handful of games in and then have to cancel. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm going to have better answers for you on all of this probably Not next sure. week. But as far as the, um, the schedule, I think it makes a lot of sense to do um, – you know, possibly a, a just a best ball schedule. I've I've seen some leagues uh, doing double headers. So if you normally play just one game a week for the first uh, the first thirteen weeks, maybe you play double headers to try to get some uh, some extra games in before the league potentially has to in uh, the season early. You know, that's I mean that's been a common thought is maybe they get four games in, they get six mm-hmm. games in, but. Mm-hmm. It seems like very few people at this point expect a full uh, 16 game season plus playoffs. So um, I, I think using double headers makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think we were going to push for uh, you know your regular schedule plus playing against the the mean against the average. So if you're yeah. top six, you got the win. If you're bottom six, you took the extra L, extra loss. So that seemed like a, a pretty fair way to do it. And then the next question is, what do you do with the the playoffs? Depend how short it goes, right? So if you only end up with a four-game season, it's a hell of a short season. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have the same record. So that's where your, your best ball scoring, you know, would, would have to come into effect or what would right. you just scrap a season. You know? Yeah, well, I play a lot of my leagues on MFL, my fantasy league, and, mm-hmm. and they have basically said that uh, they're going to they're going to charge if it goes – if we get half a season in. Uh, okay. So if we get, if we get eight games in, um, and I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good bar to set for fantasy leagues as well. If they only play four games, I mean, you can't um, judge. Yeah. You can't crown a champion based on that. You can't do payout. So if you're talking about a redraft league, I think at that point you just refund everybody's money, come back in 2021 and, and hope this thing is, is done by then. Uh, in a dynasty league, which most of my leagues are, you know, it's, it's completely different. You've got some, you've got some other options. I'd still probably, uh, I'd still probably refund, but you can continue with uh, and almost treat it like an extended off season. As far as, you know, you still open trades, you still open waivers, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in the dynasty uh, or in your keeper leagues, maybe for, for redraft leagues, Nah, maybe more in your dynasty. I guess it's impactful. But uh, are you thinking more of a, a lottery system where the guy came in 12th is getting 12, 12 tickets, the guy got the championship gets one ticket, and you, and you pull for, for draft picks slots, or, uh, or you freeze them to where they were last year? What would be your, your preference there? I think this is probably going to be the, um, the biggest discussion for dynasty leagues mm-hmm. is how to determine that draft order. 
Um, I, I would not just use the same order as 2020. I, w- or, uh, I would not do that. Um, I, th- I think you can do some type of lottery system. Um, you could do some type of, of tiered uh, kind of like a bucket system and then go lottery. So uh, if you've got teams that um, are, are always playoff contenders, you know, put them in one group. If you've got te- teams that have, that miss the playoffs every year, put them in one group. Those teams are, uh, are fighting for, uh, for the top picks, okay. um, you know, whether it's a, a lottery system or, you know, just a random draw from those three teams. But if you say these three teams haven't made the playoffs in, in the past three years, they're going to be one, two, and three in some order. Uh, these four teams have made the playoffs the past three years. They're going to be nine, 10, 11, 12 in some order. And then, you know, once you group them, then you can make it random. I think that makes a little more sense. Okay. I like that. It's a little, uh, a little different of a take than what I've heard, you know, um, you, you might have a little, uh, persuasion to do with the, the guys who are going to be stuck with the later picks, but you know, Hey, you, you, you've done well for yourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got to be real about it. If you're, if you're making the playoffs every year, if you had a, a team that you think of as a, a strong contender for this year, even if there is no season, you can't expect a top pick in, in 2021. It's just, just yeah. not realistic. So you've got to, um, you got to do what is best for the whole league. Yeah. That's good to keep the league around and, uh, and, uh, and happy. Cause that's what keeps it around. <laughs> so, okay. So last part here, uh, as far as COVID goes. So whether it's redraft or whether it's regular season, um, player gets COVID. Are you thinking, oh well? Are you setting up extra IR spots? You got a preference on 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 a thought on that side of the? It, yeah, it's. I mean, it seems like I don't I don't have the data on this, but it feels like we've had more serious injuries uh, over the past couple of years. Anyway, so I mean, originally in in my leagues, we had two IR spots, and um, just week after week, I was having people come to me and say you know, we need more IR spots. This is just not enough. So I was already kind of trending towards um, unlimited IR spots, right? I mean, if you've got a guy in your roster and he goes, he goes on the injured reserve list, then um, I mean, why punish, you know, why punish the, the fantasy manager for that? Uh, And we're talking, we're talking um, dynasty leagues where these guys are out for the year. They're not going to help you. Um, So, with with COVID and and we've heard from the league that there there will be a COVID list. It'll be a three week, basically a three week uh, injury list. Um, I, I think that that helps fantasy leagues a lot. You know, just that that clarity and um, understanding that okay, I mean, with with baseball, we saw it with Juan Soto. You know, Juan Soto's on on the COVID list for the next three weeks, um, and, and you can put him there. You can replace him. So uh, we're, we're probably going to have unlimited IR spots in my leagues. Okay. All right. I like it. You heard him. <laughs> All right. So what are, uh, we're going to slide over to some rookie talks here. So what are your, some of your favorite first, second round rookie running back wide receiver targets in rookie drafts that are, that are you know, there's a couple <clears throat> that have been kind of dwindling and holding on with the, uh, the late season, uh, Thoughts here, and with the uh, the the preseason being basically canceled, so a lot of yeah. there's a few I'm holding out to to later before they do the rookies. Um, 
what's your what's your any favorite first second round rookie wide receiver targets? Well, I mean, I think with this with this class of running backs at the top of the draft, um, you know, we talked about the 2017 class, how impactful that was with with so many um, so many running backs entering the league. We saw it with 2014. Uh, in 2014 with wide receivers, basically changing the league with that, that class. And I think this, this group of running backs could, could be on that same level again. So, I mean, if you ask me for first round running back targets, I'm starting at the top. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire is my number one. I took him at one Oh one in the only league where I had that top pick. Uh, and, but he, Jonathan Taylor, JK Dobbins, all three of those guys are players I would certainly be targeting, whether it's rookie draft um, or, or a startup draft. Okay. I like it. Um, what about if we're sliding down to the third, fourth round? Um, any favorite targets in the, in the later rounds for those, those leagues that will go deeper? Not that that's super deep, but. Yeah. So, I mean, as I was looking at, at ADP, uh, rookie ADP, and this comes from uh, my fantasy league, rookie leagues, we've got over 800 of them uh, in our data set at DLF. So a, a huge sample size. Uh, it, it was really running backs that stood out in the first round, those names I mentioned. Mm-hmm. In the second round, it, it shifts to Visca Chenault there on Edwards in the second round. Uh but in the third round, I think it, it kind of flips back, uh, at least in part, to running backs. Joshua Kelly uh, is near the top of the third round uh, and, and could see an immediate role uh, with the Chargers. Uh, and then also, uh, my guy, I'm a, I'm a Kentucky football fan, so we don't, get, we don't get many players to cheer for in the NFL, but uh, we're pretty excited about Lynn Bowden, uh, drafted by the Raiders. Uh, you know, he – was recruited and, and played at Kentucky as a wide receiver, uh, then shifted to quarterback due to some injuries. And, and now the Raiders have drafted him as a running back. So, um, you know, certainly a versatile player. I mean, he, he led the SEC in rushing uh, despite only playing eight games uh, away from the wide receiver position, lined up uh, eight games as a quarterback and led the SEC in rushing. So pretty special talent. We'll see how he works. Uh, and how he pairs with uh, with Josh Jacobs there. There you go. I played my uh, first and probably only, uh, at least for now, college league last year, and I, I picked him up at, at one point, and I'm like, wait, I can put him in as my running back and the super flex? I'm starting three quarterbacks. <laughs> that was kind of fun. If, if you had him, you probably did pretty well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll leave it alone. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> it, it helped, but unfortunately, my other picks were not as uh, not as good. So, um, uh, any uh, okay, that'll work. Uh, we're going to move on to another section here. Remind the listeners before we move on to this section where you can be found once again. It's on the uh, it's on on the screen for those watching on the YouTube's, but those listening, it is. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RyanMC23 and find most of my work at DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. So we're going to switch our mind. I think you I think you can do this. Uh, we're going to switch our mind to redraft for a second. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk uh, ro- rookie running backs. And I feel like this first part is easier than the second part. I don't know. Rookie running backs that you're targeting and redraft for this season and why. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, impact now, basically. Right. So honestly, I want all the rookie running backs, uh, which is which is true. A lot of the times anyway, as you said, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a dynasty guy. So sometimes it's it's tough to to shift that uh, focus when I do play uh, in redraft leagues. But I mean, there's been a a overwhelming narrative this offseason over the past month that uh, rookies, you know, this is the year to avoid rookies because of no OTAs, because of no training camp, because of no preseason. And and I, I mean, I absolutely get that. Um, You you know, if you're a, if you're an undrafted kid trying to make the team, you know, you're, you're in trouble, honestly. Um, This is, this is just terrible, you know, terrible circumstance, terrible luck for those players. Uh, If you're day three pick, uh, you know, sixth, seventh rounder, trying to make the rotation, trying to earn uh, carries. Same thing, probably not going to go your way. But when we go back to these these running backs that we were talking about, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, uh, DeAndre Swift, and Cam Akers, uh, I mean, those those are players who were drafted in the first or second round, day one or day two. Um, they've already, I mean, they've already proven themselves as players on the college level and, and uh, in, in all of their cases, you know, big time college level, SEC, uh, Big Ten, and so on. So, I, I mean, I think all five of those players, and, and we could probably go a little deeper with guys like Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm not quite as sold on him, but uh, I'm also not sold on Ronald Jones. So we'll we'll see what <laughs> Vaughn can do. Uh, Come on, he's bulking up, man. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, any discount that I can get on on those players because of COVID, because of, um, the, the tough transition they might have, uh, you know, I'm absolutely taking that Clyde is still expensive. He's running back 14, uh, he's yeah. going as a second rounder, uh, in FFPC ADP, but, uh, a lot of the others c- could be had pretty easily, you know, Cam Akers 50 overall, Deandre Swift 53 overall, JK Dobbins 61 overall. Uh, yeah, I want them all. I want all those guys. So here's a question for you. So if you're snagging someone like, in redraft, if you're snagging someone like CH, uh, who's yeah, so right around the 20th pick, so you're just hitting that that turn on the third, are you then gonna handcuff him with the presumed starter? So Damian Williams is showing up as 80th pick, so we're into the seventh round at that point. Are you gonna handcuff him so you know you have the backfield lined up or not your style? What's your thought there? Yeah, n- not necessarily my style, um, but that's the the great thing about all of these situations. Uh, Damian Williams in Kansas City, Mac mm-hmm. in uh, in Indianapolis, on Johnson, Mark Ingram. We- we've also seen each of those running backs fall because of the presence of these rookies. So mm-hmm. if you are worried about the rookies, if you if you don't think they can make that transition, you know it's it's easy to ignore them and just take the value, take the discount on their veteran teammates instead so uh you you know really no matter what your mindset is or your opinion is on these rookies coming in in 2020 you can profit either way because if you think talent is going to win out and these these young guys are great for the most part uh they're going later than they would have if we had training camp and if we had otas Um, but if you're if you're worried about them just take marlon mack and carry on johnson and damian williams instead yeah, take take Mark Ingram in the end of the fifth round, 
Mark Ingram from last year, end of the fifth yeah. round. That's you know, if he stays healthy, doesn't get hurt, do they pull him off the field? <laughs> you know, unless they're winning by forty again. Um, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I do, I do expect a role certainly for Dobbins, um, but I mean, Mark Ingram's not going away. You know, he's yeah. one of the most underrated, undervalued running backs uh, of the past decade or so. He's he's always there and always producing. Yeah, that's why I thought I'd point that one out because that one was pretty interesting to me. Um, especially with Gus Edwards having so many carries last year, you can just slide those over to, you know, yep. real easy. There you go. It was about a hundred. <laughs> um, all right. So from there, let's go over to um, rookie wide receivers that you would be willing to take the shot on. No, no keeper league, no keeper league. You can't even hold them for next year. I want to remove that from you because yeah. keeper league is always easy to take that shot and just bury that one guy. Um, but you've only got him for this year. Yeah, this one is tougher. Uh, and, and I do think that the case can be made that um, everything that's gone on the past few months does affect wide receivers more than it might affect uh, affect running backs. Um, so you look at look at the top wide, rookie wide receivers, and they both landed in pretty crowded situations. Uh, yeah, C.D. Lamb in Dallas, Jerry Judy in Denver. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to take both of those guys, but probably honestly not as early as – as they're going in ADP, uh, Jalen Rager would actually be my rookie wide receiver one from a redraft standpoint. Uh, and, and I mean, we know the Eagles last year, their wide receiver core was just decimated. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey got hurt. Deshaun Jackson got hurt. Uh, Nelson Aguilar got hurt. You know, by the end they were, they were starting Greg Ward as their, as their top target at wide receiver, the, the former quarterback. So, um, and I'm still not sure Alshon Jeffrey even makes that uh, that week one roster. So uh, sure. Jalen Rager, looking at the rookie receivers, he's the player I think can come in and be uh, – he won't be this number one target. that You know, that's probably still Zach Ertz, but I think he could be the number one wide receiver on the Eagles roster. Uh, beyond him, the other player that stands out that I think could make an immediate impact is Michael Pittman in Indianapolis. And uh, I don't have his ADP in front of me, but I'm, I'm sure it's pretty cheap in, in redraft. I'll snag that for you while you're talking about him. Okay. Yeah. You just, you think about, and I mean, the Colts were kind of in a similar situation to, to Philly last year that um, they didn't have a ton of wide receivers to start with. Uh, and, and then T Y Hilton uh, goes down with the injury and, and, you know, Zach Pascal is is basically like their top guy. Paris Campbell struggled for them, just as J.J. Ortega-Whiteside struggled for Philadelphia. So similar stories. Uh, I do believe uh, kind of the recent hype that Hilton's back, he's healthy, he's going to be still the wide receiver one and the top target uh, on that team. So I don't think – I don't look at Pittman as, as the top option in Indy this year, but I do think he could certainly be second, especially when they lost – uh, they lost Eric Ebron as well. So you're not worried about Campbell over Pittman? Not really. I'm I'm worried about Campbell as a dynasty asset. I'm worried that he he never really uh, it never really clicks for him. But okay. I mean, I think Pittman is is the more pro ready receiver. I was cheating. I was asking that one for myself since I have him on the roster. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we're gonna sign off here. Um, you said you can be found. At a million places, Ryan McDowell, 23, uh, DLF, uh, all over the world. 
I can be found on Twitter at Bob's Three Toad, on YouTube, Bob's Three Toad Warriors. Listen to new shows that drop on Monday and Thursday mornings on YouTube and everywhere podcasts can be found. And you can watch the Fantasy Football Hump Day Happy Hour on Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Central. I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show, sir. I really appreciate it. I hope everyone listening enjoyed it as much as I did recording it with you. And um, I thank you for that. And that's all for this show. It's been Bob's Three Toad Warrior and Mr. Ryan McDowell. Remind you, soon enough, you'll be able to hit the waiver wire, set your lineup, dominate your opponents. But until then, see you.